0: Welcome to to where two guys tell you about the books you're reading. I'm Rob Olson. And I'm Livia Sneddon. This week, as promised for a few weeks now, Adrenaline Junkie by Les Edgerton. Uh, this is a little weird. So I put together a synopsis from Amazon, and then I looked at the bio, which I thought was almost too spoilery for the book, because it's his bio and this is a memoir, and it was really, really long. <laughs> So, what I thought was if I just do the synopsis, since it's a memoir, this can also serve as less as bio. What do you think about that, Rob?
1: I mean, that's like the most innovative.
0: Uh, Decision, I think that's happened on this podcast in a long time. Adrenaline Junkie is more than a renowned multi-award winning author entertaining with his life history. Les Edgerton understands the backstory matters. It influences the present. So he journeyed through his path seeking answers for why he was the way he was. Seeking answers for his thrill-seeking devil-may-care often self-destructive behaviors. Seeking a sense of personal peace. Why was he compelled to be the best he could in all his endeavors, legal or otherwise? What drove him to excel and flee success only to strive for supremacy in another field? Adrenaline Junkie holds the answers. With nothing held back, with his life-saving humor, an indomitable spirit, and a fierce courage to expose the ugly and painful, like the tough, raw, vulnerable characters Les writes out in his short stories and novels, he exposes us to a man fighting against family, society, and his own sense of injustice. Fighting for a moment, regardless of how fleeting, to feel in control of his life. And as comfortable at times, as less life adventure may be for us to witness, we come way grateful he took us with it. So settle back, meet a real-life 21st century renaissance man, a real-life adrenaline junkie. There you, there you, well, I mean, I should clap. That was
1: very well done. There was a lot of big synopsis slash bio. I wonder, like, because the bio probably has a lot of the same information or, so you know what I'm saying? So it would have been a little awkward if we did a bio as well. And it was
0: really long, dude. Yeah. Like yeah. I think his bio could have served as the synopsis. Because the synopsis says a lot of things about him as a as a like internally as a person. Like yeah, characteristics as opposed to yeah. Right. Yeah, as opposed to actions, which his bio would probably be a little more. But yeah, anyway, there it is. There you have it. Uh folks may remember we um reviewed The Rapist by Les Edgerton. Yeah. And bomb. <sighs> And Bomb I was that I was trying to think. It was like four years ago for the rapist, probably like three years ago for Bomb. Yeah, it's yeah. It's been a while. Yeah, it's yeah. been a little while. So I was pretty excited to do this. This is only our second memoir for the podcast. Yeah. Uh the other one was Rob Robert's uh The Liar, or just Liar, I guess it's called. Yep. Yeah. And uh only I guess our third then nonfiction
1: yeah <laughs> I, I love telling people when when they ask what kind of books we review yeah. like when i'm explaining the podcast to them, mm-hmm. and they're like what kind of books do you review you know and i tell them you know not, you know it's always fiction it's always like you know we avoid these genres they're like do you do any non and i said once by accident and they're like what yeah so, exactly
0: yeah, <laughs> yeah. It's, it's a fun story so this is this is number three numbers two and three were on purpose we did know that these were not but um yeah. you know i don't know it's uh I guess we'll, we'll see,
1: we'll see what we thought about this. And, uh, right up front, man, because it's, it's a, a, a memoir or yeah, it's a, it's classified as a memoir. It's not gonna, we're not gonna be able to talk about it in the standard like story structure that we usually would with like, you know, like plot points and, and character development and stuff like that. Cause this is just a dude writing about his life. And so, um, it's probably not going to be a huge long conversation cause we want you to read it and enjoy it without knowing everything already uh but there i mean it bears talking about uh there's a lot of interesting stuff in here and uh seeing where he was versus where he is i think we're going to talk a little bit about that too
0: and um i mean this is a spoiler i guess we're going to have Les edgerton on in a couple of weeks so we're going to save some of these things to talk to him about specifically Um, I say it's a spoiler because then you know that he's not he doesn't die at the end of this because he's going to be on the podcast. Yeah. So, um, but yeah, there's some things we definitely want to talk to him about. So in uh, two or three weeks, you'll hear less Edgerton. So we may choose to cover some things then versus now. I guess we'll see how this uh, how this rolls out. But I guess um, we'll get started. And and the way I want to get started is I want Rob to share. He sent me a message when he was almost done reading this book. Last <laughs> yeah. night. And I don't necessarily need you to share the message, but I, I, I want to get that thought out there because because I've run into it myself. So can you kind of give me give us the gist of, of what you sent me?
1: Yeah, I'll just read the message because it's not going to sound any less, any more eloquent if I just try to wing it. Um, I said, uh, this is the book that reads like the book everybody thinks they will write when they say, man, I really should write a book about my life. But they shouldn't. Um, And I guess the emphasis might not have come through to Livius, but like the average person who just has normal life experiences thinks that it's going to be interesting to everybody else. And practically every one of them is wrong. I've had that, you know, I've had the same thought myself. Um, But my I I know that my life uh, experiences, you know, on paper would really not be that exciting but this book is is what everybody thinks
0: that's going to be for them. Yeah, I um, I guess partially because of the nature of of the work I do, I, without outside this podcast, um, I, I've run into a few people that have are either working on their autobiography um, mm-hmm. or talk about it, and I always kind of have that same feeling, like. I'm standing here talking to you right now, and I'm failing to see the things that you could have done yeah. that were extraordinary enough for me to want to read about it. Now, I don't know, had Les had, had less Edgerton had said that to me um, when we met back in, in Indiana, in Indianapolis, Indiana. Um, I don't know, a few years ago, would I have looked at him and thought, yeah, sure, buddy, like I do most times? Um, but I, yeah, I, I think that the, the, the gist of your message is that this doesn't doesn't come off that way.
1: It's it's the real deal, I guess is is I guess the short way of saying it. Like, and and honestly, I hadn't thought about this till now. But um, uh, my I, I have a brother who's a year and a half older than me, and what makes me so I, I guess without going too deep into it, Les's book reads a little unbelievable. Um, but the North Star for me in 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 perspective on this is is my my older brother. Uh, it, and he hasn't had such a wild life as Les depicts uh, his own life in this book, but it's similar enough in like the uh, uh, the rowdy, uh, the fighting, the criminal activity, blah blah blah. But also like the womanizing, where I'm like, it's not outside the realm of possibility. So I think had I not had my brother's stories to 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 hear over the years. Like I might have been like, this is totally made up, but because I have him and 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 have gone have experienced his experiences, I I, I find Les's book to probably be really, really super uh, unembellished.
0: Yeah, I um I think that's a thing that you almost have to do. Like you have to remind yourself that people have different experiences than you do. So, um yeah, I, I know exactly what you mean, because there are times where I was reading and I was like, oh, all right, come on. But then I thought, yeah. like, who am I comparing less to? I'm comparing <laughs> less to, to the only person I can compare a memoir to, which is myself, right?
1: Yeah.
0: So uh, we have to remember other people lead uh, more adventurous lives or um, I don't know, I, I think back to Cherry. The, the Nico Walker book, was yeah. that his name, Nico Walker? Yeah. Um, kind of the same thing, right? I mean, that's, you know, it's it's proposed as fiction, but it sounds like it's virtually a memoir. Um, you know, when you read about the guy's actual life and you think to yourself, it's the same thing. Have you have read that when we were reading that book, you were reading it as fiction, kind of lightly knowing yeah. that it's based on his life. But a lot of it would seem unbelievable to you if someone said, hey, here's the story of my life. And you'd be like, oh, this sounds a little out there. But you know what? You and I, well, I'll speak for myself, didn't run in drug dealing circles or um, didn't (laughs) serve in the military. Well, but you know what I mean? Like, So so, uh, comparing their experiences to mine or to yours, it's something you kind of constantly have to remind yourself. And it's good that you have a grounding presence in your family that you were able to draw from for for that grounding effect. Yeah, because I think, uh, like you said, like
1: if you just have your own personal experience to go off of it could seem a little ridiculous. And so we might want to talk a little bit about how that sounds. Um, I want to start out by saying that the book starts, I mean, the book fairly chronologically is, is in a straight line. It doesn't jump around to like, Oh, you know, this is something that happened in my adulthood. And then this is flashing back to when I was a kid. It's pretty chronological. Um, and toward the beginning of the book, you learn more about less childhood. And, um, he had kind of a crazy religious mom and a and a hard ass father who was very strict and very like like the 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 pinnacle of macho um, a man's man total man's man yep um and so the the start of the book is really kind of just establishing what type of environmental factors could lead to him getting into all of the fucking stuff he gets into throughout his life Um, and it's just the strict upbringing, but it's also, you know, um, being poor, uh, but, but, and then there's kind of a dichotomy because part of his life when he lived in Texas, grandma was a very successful business person and kind of spoiled him a little bit. So he, he had a taste of the good life, but then like when they weren't living by grandma, they were in Indiana, it was, you know, they were poor, but they, you know, they were too proud to ask for money and, um, taking charity was, was a bad thing and stuff like that. So you get to, to experience all of the kind of environmental factors that would lead to kind of the personality that's presented in the synopsis, which is like, you know, a guy who, you know, wants to experience everything and takes everything head on and and stuff like that.
0: Yeah, and to be fair for people who don't know Les, and I, I don't think we mentioned this, Less is his mid seventies now, I believe. Yeah. So um time um, the, the era plays a very important role, um, not just in what happened. So like that whole kids fighting and getting into fights all the time. Like, I think it, it culturally, I guess it depends on where you live and stuff. I just think there's less of that nowadays than there was. Yeah. It's just not as accepted. Um, you know, if you got into a fist fight and really beat the shit out of somebody, let's just say in the sixties, um, you know, cops may have come broken it up sent everybody on their own way. Now, if you beat the shit out of somebody, right. you know, it, it, you're far more likely to face, um, strict criminal charges. Right. Yeah. So I think that we have to make sure that we're, we're viewing, uh, some of the stories, um, through the, the lens of the time that they occurred in. Um, as we have to do, I, I think, I don't know, I feel, and this is talking about the book in general. Like I think Les did what seems like a very honest, um, and proper, job of showing us things through the element of the time frame that they happened in but then also commenting on it through a more modern view if that makes sense sure. so there are times where where he says something that might be a little jarring to read in 2018 um where you go oof man i'm surprised to use that terminology for that or that word for that person or or whatever um, but, but he does it in a way that he lets you know, Hey man, this is, this is what the seventies were like, Yep. you know, but, but in a way that doesn't lead you to, to, I don't know, I don't know, to judge him as a person on, by today's standards. And we've talked about this in other books too, right? Cause we've read books that were much older and we've had to talk about, you know, Again, what what's acceptable today or, or what the current climate is today versus what it was then and accepting it for what it is. But I think he does a good job of balancing the two by and large.
1: Yeah. And, and I think a lot of that comes from the general uh, the tone or, or the approach of the way he writes it. He writes it like he's telling the story directly to you. And so um, I, I feel like that kind of cushions whatever he's saying in a way, because um it's just a dude uh he he very much embraces like the warts and all kind of approach like he's not uh trying to make himself look good he's probably actually leaning more towards like talking about like how like the negative aspects of himself but in a way where you know he's just being open and vulnerable vulnerable about his life um not like he's pushing an agenda or or like trying to <laughs> espouse beliefs he's just saying this is what it was um and so that that kind of like um direct storytelling approach i think helped a lot with not getting mired down in like the words he used uh but also because he was just being very authentic like you said to the time like like if an n-word pops up it's because you know that's what someone said about someone you know at the time he wasn't like, oh, back then we used to beat up the n words, like that kind of thing. So, <laughs> <laughs> I got gotcha.
0: to, and I, I think you're right. So, I mean, I want to kind of ask, I guess, do you think then? So, I would call this a very conversational tone, right? Because I felt very. the same way. I felt like I was sitting with Les at a at a bar or whatever, and and taking in stories from his youth. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, but if this was written as a memoir by an omnipotent narrator, I think then, um, then maybe some of that would be a little muddier like on on do you think like that... it would take
1: i think it would take a little more finesse, like if it was written from like a, a an omniscient perspective, like mm-hmm. you would have to say like back in those days they would say or something like that to kind of like mm-hmm. put it in 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 a context, you don't need those kind of context modifiers with the
0: way he tells the story, yep, yeah, cool. So, yeah, I mean, from a start, like, I don't want to I don't want to talk about any of this. Right. <laughs> so we see less uh, through his uh, very young years. So, you know, even seven, eight, nine years old um, in, in Texas. Um, and, and we see him kind of move around. They, they do a little bit of moving back and forth between Indiana and Texas. Um, and in his teenage years, there is a uh, Robin already mentioned fighting. And then we kind of move into the the, the criminal aspect of his life. Um, and, and it's well known because it's in his bio. We've talked about it here on the podcast before that he served a couple of years in prison, not got locked up overnight, not did 30 days like he was in a in a legit penitentiary. Yeah.
1: Well, there was a pinch of, of the book that was his military service before it really got into his like criminal activity. Um, but, yeah, sure. like um, I, I would say that the real. The first big change in his life was uh, prison because he was that, like the synopsis said, uh, thrill seeking, devil may care, self-destructive kind of person up until like he started getting into crime and and, uh, it was when he got busted and went away to jail that like his you know, his perspective of the world changed. He wasn't always going to win the fight and stuff like that and so that was an interesting turn was like Prison changed him into not necessarily less of a criminal, but it probably saved him from some really sobering problems that would arise if he didn't have that perspective.
0: An interesting thought, maybe an interesting thought I thought was interesting that I had um, during reading some of his criminal escapades um, is how much easier it was in those days. Right. Didn't everything seem super easy? Yeah, he was like, yeah. went to a bar, I broke the window, reached in, unlocked the door, stole eighteen hundred bucks or yeah. whatever. I'm just you know making it up off the top of my head, but I don't I don't know that today it's that easy to be a criminal. And again, I'm not belittling his ability to be a criminal in any way. It's just how the world has changed. Um, how technology has made it far more difficult with cameras everywhere and even yeah. facial recognition technology and security systems. You know, there's a there's a number of scenes where it's like we approach this place. It was late. Uh, It was two in the morning and we went in and we took the stuff And I'm like, that's and that's all it was like there didn't need to be an elaborate story about how they did it because that was it. And uh, I it was a little scary because I'm thinking to myself, man, it was that easy. How much easier would it be for me to do that today? Or when I was in my, you know, whatever, late teens or early 20s or, or, or whatever, if I really thought it was that easy to do it. So it it kind of made me you know <laughs> as sympathetic, I guess in that like it's just that easy and you keep doing it and keep getting away with it, you get the rush of doing it, but you also aren't as likely to face the consequences I feel as you are later, so
1: yeah, and I wonder, like uh, because I've worked in retail a good amount in my in my life, and um so I've seen the people just walk into a place and take something and walk right out and and so I feel like a lot of the easiness of crime is your mindset. Like the more you you're convinced that it's going to work. And he even says something similar to that in the book. Like the more you're convinced it's going to work, the more likely, you know, you're, you're probably going to be to succeed. Um, but there is the fact that he got caught. (laughs) And so like as easy as it was, you know, I feel like, yeah, you, you escalate, you do something, you know, worse or you do something more frequently or, or something, and eventually something goes wrong. In this case, um, it involved some rat, mo- some rat motherfuckers, rat, some fucking rat. <laughs> um, so in that case, maybe he was great at like you know burglaries and stuff like that. It was burglaries. He wasn't like an armed robber or anything. Correct. It was primarily burglaries. Um, and in this case, it wasn't his skill. It was uh, who he put his trust in some dumbass who then fl- they rolled they rolled so fast on him too so um yeah and and then uh i won't i don't want to like the circumstances about him actually like the plea and everything i thought was was um and i don't i don't i don't know if we want to talk about it but like what gets him actually into prison was one of those kind of character moments too where it's like had he made a different decision about how he was going to approach like taking a plea or not um Mm -hmm. he might not have had to go to jail um yeah which i i thought was good it spoke to regardless of how reckless and and crazy and and just ballsy and and probably be stupid he acted on a regular basis like there was some sort of grounded um you know goodness somewhere like the whole time
0: yeah and i don't i mean i don't think that we're As people, I don't think we can be roundly judged on one particular aspect of our life. Um, So you and I just just thought, you know, so really, we addressed him being a criminal is what we just talked about and said, well, it seems like he might have still been a good guy. Right. So someone else might look at the more womanizing aspects of his life. You know (laughs) what I mean? And, and make a similar statement or uh, or not, you know, someone may condemn him as uh, this guy was a dirtbag criminal. He's he's always going to be a, a piece of crap. Um, but someone could say that about other aspects of his life, like, uh, you know, the, the number of women that he's slept with and or let on slash, you know, the, the you know, he goes into great detail on some of his bigger relationships. Can you imagine some of the the just ones that are mentioned in passing, though? Yeah. Oh um, yeah, yeah. You know the circumstances uh, around him. So, which I guess takes us into that. Les gets out of prison, um, and and goes uh, goes back to enjoying um a bevy of of women, and that all that takes up. I don't want to say that that particular, but these relationships take up a good portion of the story. Um, they're all about Les, and and yes, I do think he develops as a person as and a character, but we a lot of times see that through the lens of some of the women that he's involved with.
1: Yeah. Um, so over the years, um, in in, <laughs> I, I I don't know if I'm going to get like the timeline of all the ladies right, but there's there's a bunch and and there, um, some of them are very fleeting encounters where maybe he meets them that day and they go right to having sex. Others are actually relationships where he ends up married and throughout the course of the book, married multiple times and having um, having children, and and being. Being a father in what, like the 60s, 60s and 70s, when uh, it was obvious that during that time he was much more embracing of like the not necessarily hippie thing, but like the everybody was (laughs) is the good
0: parts of the hippie thing. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, The not hippie
1: parts. of Yeah. The free love drugs kind of uh, life more than settling down and doing the boring Indiana family thing.
0: So I just watched um last night on Netflix uh they have a series called well they have a series called the 80s which I watched a few weeks ago and then I was kind of um, picking through the 70s ones yeah and uh the one on I don't remember what it was called essentially it was on the sexuality of the 70s yeah uh, again is something that we need to remind ourselves like you know we're reading Les's story and what's the time frame right and and man, this little hour-long documentary on it really made it sound like the 70s was the time if you were going to score a ton of action that that was the time to do it um (laughs) the women's liberation movement but i mean this is and this is through you know again i'm watching a documentary on it not someone saying man it was so easy to get laid in the 70s you know they're talking about the different things that were going on in media and politics the movements um That that we're going on, we're coming out of the free love 60s and the 70s is uh, sexual liberation for everybody, not just for dirty hippies, right? So, um, again, some of his stories lend themselves a little more credence, uh, you know, when you when you understand the time frame that they're happening in. So I I don't. So I guess what I'm saying is in 2018, I don't think there are any less Edgerton's running around living that lifestyle. Um, I just don't (laughs) think that the time lends itself. Um, like it may have in the sixties, seventies, maybe even in the eighties
1: I mean, and like the thought- like the thought that occurred to like so reading about like uh hooking up with um you know sometimes stretches of like multiple different women in a given day, like day after day after day, I was like, who has time and energy for that like i like it sounds. On you know, at surface level, it sounds like oh, you're you're hooking up with all these people, you're having all this sex. It sounds great. Mm-hmm. No, like I, I like <laughs> I don't know if it's the fact that I'm 40 uh, now or something, but like I just I don't there's it feels like that's a lot of uh, like emotional not an emotional but mental energy mm-hmm. and, and also physical energy put into that. Like uh, it's just it doesn't seem like it would be worth all of the effort that it would take unless it was so, effortless
0: so i have yeah so i have i have a couple thoughts on that and these are these are things we should make a note to ask less first of all you know i'm going to say this in, in what's going to sound like a funny way right but practice 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 um if you do that and you do it regularly enough that's your body becomes accustomed oh, okay to, i think. So you
1: just like you you hit a
0: yeah you hit it's, yeah. it's like working a muscle yeah. Yeah, yeah. I was going to say it. it's just like, like working out, you know what I mean? You can't run. I, I know I'm not, I'm not judging you, but you can't run three miles, right? I can't run three miles. But if we started running yeah. every day, yeah. six or seven months from now, we'd be talking about how we run three miles every day and, and, and past us would be looking at us like we're nuts. Like how the fuck do you guys run three miles? Right. But it's because you're, you're, you're working up to it and you're doing it. Second of all, this did not, I don't believe come up in the book, but you know, is it possible that, that, Les maybe had a little bit of a sexual addiction. And and the uh, only (laughs) reason I would even, but the only reason I would even say this, right? So I wouldn't say this about an author um, or a friend of the podcast or or whatever, but I mean, we are talking about a memoir and in reading it, it occurred to me that, although he didn't touch on it, is it possible that, you know, there, there was something, I I mean, let's face it, right. Being amorous can be addictive. Um, I'm sure we've all been in that position at some point in our lives, somebody, but you know if if that's the if you're working that muscle no pun intended right um often enough you know is it an easier step into addiction
1: well i mean the book is called adrenaline junkie so i guess like so, yeah cuz you, you cuz it's not like he was like going through um what's the word i'm looking for like a courtship process With um with these ladies, it was like even
0: when he was, there was other women.
1: Yeah, uh, Yeah. so it was more like you know they could have been they could have had a boyfriend. They often had a boyfriend or a husband or something, so that could have been part of the charge too. Is like, um, you know, I'm doing this bad thing. I'm getting away with it or whatever. Or I mean, he might not have thought it was a bad thing. I don't know. But um, so yeah, I guess you make a good point. Like a guy who's an adrenaline junkie might be looking at that score as like a way to get like a little
0: adrenaline high, a little spike. The one other thing that I want to talk about, um, and, and it's one of those, I, know, is it, I guess un, unintended consequence maybe is the right term for mm-hmm. it. I, I knew that Les um, was, a, was, was a hairstylist. And I think I'm using the right term, right? A hairstylist. Yeah. yeah. <clears throat> but the fact that he learned that skill in prison And then reading that whole section, and I mean, it kind of, you know, flashes back a little bit to it throughout the book about how many hairstylists come out of prison because it's the one like good gig that you can get. You can go to haircutting school there and cut hair. And it's one of the better gigs in prison was fascinating because on the outside, that's not that's not a correlation you would ever make. Right. Going in, going in to get my hair cut, guy cutting my hair, probably a felon. You know Why? Because there are a lot of great felon hairstylists. Like, it's not something you would ever come (laughs) to on your own. Yeah. But it's this correlation that that was, you know, of all the things in the book, it's one of the most fascinating things to me was, was that whole, like, that was the best gig to get. It was hard to get into doing that gig in in the prison. But then when you got out, you were sought after. There are places that specifically... Yeah, I don't want to say they hung around the gates waiting, but it almost seems like they hung around the gate outside the gates waiting for someone to come out and be like, hey, did you get your your haircut and license while you were in there kind of thing? And it was just absolutely fascinating. That demonstrates something that I feel
1: is is pretty, pretty consistent throughout the book is is that he finds himself in situations almost all the time throughout the book where um, he's just on top. You know he comes out on top. He's you know right place, right time, right connections, whatever it happens to be. Um, he gets he's uh, he's winning. And, and and you know what? I guess I make that sound bad with the with the hairstylist stuff. It's because he was just good. And He had a lot of ex, you know practice and and stuff with the businesses that were successful. Dude was kind of a you know a smart business per- a keen business person. Mm-hmm. But. Um, I, it was just the casualness. I think with the way that he explains those things has made it seem like things just dropped in his lap, especially ladies, but also like the other kind of benefits of his life. <laughs> literally, yeah, literally dropping in his lap. Yeah. Um, and so uh, thinking about it, because like he never says, "Oh, you know, uh, this just fell in my lap," but uh, the, it mentions in the in the synopsis, no, in his bio that we didn't read that he starred in f- porn films. Yes. And that yep. was something that just randomly one day, uh, you know, someone's like, you want to be in a porn film? Like he didn't have to work for it. Like he didn't, you know what I'm saying? Like, it just right. like something that just occurred. Mm-hmm. And I, and I feel like that's, it's pretty s- consistent throughout the book.
0: I, uh, t- to be fair, cause I know what you're saying. Like, like he kept, was able to get jobs in like really good hair salons. Right. He won 16 state championships for hairstyling. Yeah, I guess that's a good CV. Well, that's that's super impressive, and this made me think of when I was a youngster. So when I was in my late teens, I had a part time job where I cleaned a hair salon. Now I tell a long story about how that happened, but it was uh, through a family connection. How Mm -hmm. much pussy did you get at that hair salon? None. Because right, I was there right. when they were closed. Oh, I so okay. it was, it was, yeah, I was I had a key. I could let myself in at any time. It was basically like two hours a night and it was clean up the station, swipe down the mirrors, you know, take out the trash, clean out the fridge, that kind of stuff. They'd leave little notes if there was something specific that needed to be done. But, um, it was through a, through a family connection, um, that I did that. But one of the things that I got out of that, and it had, this took me, this took me right back to that moment when I was, I guess I was 17, Um, The person who owned the salon had uh, was was this weird business guy who was always like getting uh, into weird shit. But at any rate, he was having a hairstyle, a famous hairstylist. And I wish I knew what this guy's name was coming from uh, New York to cut hair in his salon for a few days. And they would split the profit or whatever the business deal was. Right. Um, But this guy charged like 100 bucks a haircut, which at the time. The other place I went to was $5. Yeah. So, I, you know, so he said, hey, um, because this person was, uh, they were sort of business partners with my parents. And that's how I got the gig working for him. anyway. any rate, he said, hey, I've got this guy coming. Um, if Livius wants to get his haircut, like, I'll have him just do it on the house if he just wants to get his, you know, his his, his haircut. And I thought, well, this is really cool, right? So." <laughs> To be fair, it was really not a whole lot different than the way I normally got my hair cut. But I was thinking about this guy because I was reading this $100 haircut thing that Les was talking about. You know, And I remember like, I've had a $100 haircut and I'm, I go right back to sitting in this chair and I'm thinking like the guy. So I expected you know, some skinny, maybe gay guy that was charging 100 bucks to get his hair cut. And when I think about this guy, it's a black guy who was bald, kind of stockier. And this guy could have been from the prison haircutting school. Like, he was not what I expected. Oh. He was not the normal person that cut my hair. And at the time, you know, I thought it was a little weird. I didn't think much of it. You know what I mean? But it's like at that time, I had uh, mostly women cut my hair. And then there was a foreign, the foreign guy who owned my shop. Uh, that I used to go to, to get my hair cut where, where, you know, those are the only people I had exposure to cutting hair. And this guy came in, and this guy definitely could have been from a prison barber school program, now, now that I think about it. And I, I really wish I knew his name, because I'd love to find out if he was. I was
1: waiting for that moment where you're like, I think Les Edgerton cut my hair.
0: <laughs> no, no, I've, I've met Les, definitely not <laughs> Les. But yeah. But uh, I mean, it's a haircut. It was okay. I just, I remember thinking like, man I'm so glad I didn't pay a fucking hundred dollars for this haircut like it's a good haircut but I feel pretty much like I do when I get my five dollar haircut at hair by Nick's um in Chicago (laughs)
1: there you go here you go um so I guess and you'll tell me if we shouldn't talk about this but um one thing that illustrates my point about like it like it seeming that things fall fall into his lap was the Charles Manson moment (laughs) yeah Yeah, because he did literally nothing yeah. uh, except for write a book um, to get to the point where Charles Manson was asking if he could call Les. And that was uh, – so that, that's the kind of thing. I felt like those moments were, were pretty consistent throughout the book.
0: Mm-hmm. Yep. The last thing I want to um, touch on – and we're not going to go into any detail. And, and the reason is, like I said, because we're going to have Less on and we're going to curate um, what we can talk about, what Les wants to talk about. But so far we've talked about, um, you know, he bangs a lot of chicks. He was, a, he was a criminal or whatever. But he gets into some pretty deep stuff, too. Um, a lot of family stuff. A lot of super personal um, things that happened to him. Yeah. Um, while he was in prison. Um, things to do with his family. Um, uh, what type of parent he was. Uh, you know that that are very very deep and and really really sad and and touching and and terrifying sometimes. So like I said, we'll we'll let Les decide how much he wants to talk about those things um, when we interview him. But I do want to say that this isn't. So far, we've made it sound like the man's man book. Like this guy gets a lot of pussy and he robs liquor stores or bars right. or whatever. You know what I mean? And and he was in a porn film and but he cut hair on the you know as his job. Like there are some some really dark, um, and some very, um, emotional portions of this book too. So I don't want to make it sound, I don't want us to make it sound like it's just some macho uh, memoir. Um, us is definitely a person with feelings who also had terrible things happen to him. Um, and and that continue to do so. So there is at the end of this book, there's kind of like an afterward. It's part of the book, but it's kind of like the book is wrapped up. But then, oh, shit, this thing happened. I want to add this in. And then more has happened since the book has been released. And as I said to Rob before the episode started, like, that's the problem with a memoir. Like, it's never over, right? Until right. you're not around anymore. <laughs> so um, I just wanted to mention there is there is some some pretty deep stuff in here, too. It's not just all a lot of, you know, fights and how many chicks can I nail today?
1: Yeah. And I think he did a good job of. Almost using all of the the flashy bravado kind of stuff that we talked about to illustrate kind of the the underlying meaning of of what this writing the book meant to him, which was to explain like why he was how he was, and um, that taps into a lot of like the more personal, emotional, sad, tragic things in his life, Um, and so when you get through the whole book. Everything that's like his wild, crazy life that he's he's led um, is put into perspective versus like his personal feelings and his personal like, you know, the the negative experiences, but also kind of like a life philosophy. And so it's not it's not just bragging. It's not it's not, you know, 350 pages of bragging. It's it's a man just being very like vulnerably telling you this is why i was who i was and i think that he did a great job of um not even balancing things but like uh like just putting them together in a way that that showed the bigger picture
0: yeah yeah i mean it's a it's a little self-deprecating at parts too um yeah thinking about that like i have not lived anywhere near the life that less has lived but there are definitely things that have happened in my life that i wouldn't want to share um as widely as this if yeah. at all right so i think we all have those things that maybe we've only shared with with one or two people or not shared at all and it really feels like like there was nothing less wasn't willing to put out on display which um i appreciate um scares me a little bit right cuz it starts making you think about the ghosts in your closet ghosts skeletons the skeletons in your closet rob has ghosts in his closet because rob's <laughs> place is haunted the rest of us have skeletons yeah um you you would be too afraid of ghosts you'd be, you'd keep moving that's right exactly yeah so um but yeah so i mean it was kind of nice i just felt like we were we were not giving this a fair shake mm-hmm. in, in the other aspect so i wanted to mention that we ready so, to yeah Yeah, let's uh, let's wrap this up. I do want to mention um, the writing style. It's very conversational, which I said before. Um, It's also written um, in a way that I find um, amusing at at times, too. I just opened up the the Kindle app uh, before you started the podcast. I told Rob, I just love this line. One part he talks about that um, he'd lost a shoe. And essentially that, you know, he Mm -hmm. says something that I'd lost a shoe, which lowers the value of the remaining one considerably, which I I just thought was great. And there's a lot of that in this book. Um, So it is, uh, there there are very serious stories told in a fairly lighthearted way that makes it super, super readable. Yeah. Um, Which is part of my wrap up, I guess. I wasn't sure what to expect. So uh, being that we read a couple of uh, Les's uh, books here on the podcast, and and we'd met him um, once in person. Had a, a pretty good conversation with him too, from what I remember. And even that conversation had some really—I'm not going to disclose any of it. <laughs> some pretty weird stuff in it, if you remember, that was not in this book, which is fine <laughs> from a time frame standpoint. But you remember what I'm talking about, right? Blessed just had some some weird shit go down for him yeah. um, that day. So uh, <laughs> and, and based on having uh, known his bio and stuff there, you know, a lot of it wasn't surprising. Right. Like I knew he'd been to prison. I knew he'd, you know, cut hair. There are a variety of things I, I knew about him. Um, so I kind of knew what to expect. Um, what I didn't expect, I hate saying it this way, is to, to enjoy it um, as much as I did. So when I say that um, we did Liar by Rob Bears, which I thought was great. Um, this was. More entertaining, I thought than that. So a book can be really good and, and this is really good. Um, but it was also entertaining. So I was, you know, uh, cracking a smile here and there or, or chuckling at something. or, as I said it, you know, a couple parts kind of thinking about my own life versus what I was reading, um, which made it uh, super enjoyable. Um, i I don't have a lot of negative things to say. if this was if this was a fiction book, I would talk about, you know, like, oh, we really should have fleshed out that bad guy in the New Orleans situation. I'm just making things up, you know, a a little better. But this is a memoir, right? So what am I going to say about the story? The story is the story. It is what it is. So it's in how it's told and how it affects you as a person. Got really sad um, a few times reading this as well, um, which I guess I will talk about hopefully in a couple of weeks when we have less on. Um, It's just a really well-put-together um, book. I go back to what Rob says. People think that this is what they're going to write when they write a memoir, but that's not what's going to happen. This is what happens when Les Edgerton writes a memoir. I really, truly enjoyed this, and I'm going to give it five stars. All
1: right. Um, I guess I don't, I'm going to try not to say too many words in my wrap-up here, because it's weird reviewing a memoir in general. Um, but uh, Livius makes a good point. There are often memoirs and in the memoirs that I've read over my life, um, uh, typically there is a theme of tragedy and sadness that makes the memoir worth writing. And that's not absent here, but it's not the purpose. I don't think, Um I, uh, you know, he wants to re-, re recount his wild life um and the, in all of the ups and downs instead of just like the, like the hard parts and the, and the, and the adversity, it, it all matters in the, in the bigger telling of the story. And so it's nice to catch, um, fun, fun moments. And, and those, um, one in a million man kind of stories and, and, all, like the, the the glitz and glamor that happened, um, because that is, uh, um, instrumental in defining a person as well. So, uh, yeah, a little more lighthearted than your typical memoir um, but at the same time uh still has that heavy impact when you when you th- consider it as as a whole so um <laughs> having having met less um in the in the in the less in his 70s kind of life as opposed to less less when he was a, a little bit more rambunctious um it, hearing about his past it was a little difficult to reconcile with who he or how he acts now i guess i should say but this book makes it all kind of make sense it kind of like focuses the lenses just right um to kind of show you who he is today and and what matters to him and um i i think it's great and i'm looking forward to talking to him now after after catching uh, up on his up on his life so yeah levius is right this is five stars
0: All right, moving away from Les Edgerton for a week or so, mm-hmm. <laughs> there's a couple other things I wanted to touch on. We talked about in our year end review episode that um, Bird Box, right? And yeah. we gushed about Bird Box. 45 million Netflix accounts watched that movie in the first week, making it the biggest Netflix release. I believe we actually talked about this. I said, I wonder if this is going to be based on the hype. Like the biggest, you know, thing they've had come out, and I guess it is right—at least for an original Netflix movie. That's what they said. It was the biggest opening seven days ever
1: for a Netflix film, right?
0: Yeah. So I don't know if that um, takes series into account. Like, you know, I know uh, Orange is the New Black, which I don't watch, is really big, and Stranger Things, right? But um, for a movie, that's pretty phenomenal. Now we did have uh, Jesse. Um, permanent staff here at the podcast reached out and said that he does believe that Netflix is one-time payments, which was another question that we kind right. of had very generally uh, about how that works. And Jesse is, uh, is in the know in these things as he is a huge fan of film and he's the guy who knows directors names and shit like that stuff that I can never <laughs> be bothered to remember. Uh, so I'm going to go with that, but, uh, I just wanted to mention that's a lot and that's accounts, right? So I watch the movie with linda right so that was two of us watching the movie so that you know is that 45 million people that right. could be 90 yeah. million it could be 120 million if a whole family sat around to do it um that's pretty impressive in in one
1: week now i don't know how much you've been paying attention to um there's a little naysaying going on about this um in our group have you have you noticed any of that negative all right uh long-time friend of the podcast david james keaton is um, raising some questions about the validity of that, and saying like they've never released numbers before. Why are they doing it this for this first time right now? And like if that's true, it's more it's more first week views than like any movie in history and stuff like that. So he's throwing around mm-hmm. a little bit of uh, speculation that Netflix might not be
0: uh, being entirely honest. So from what I read though in the article is that also includes international audience. Okay. So it's a worldwide number. Well, yeah. yeah, So, and again, you know, why didn't they before? I don't know. Maybe the numbers weren't impressive. The thing that I did find, um, and and there is, and this does go back a little bit to what David was saying, was people are like talking about we need more transparency from Netflix. No, the fuck you don't. What do you need more transparency for? Mm -hmm. Like watch the movie, like the movie, find someone that also watch the movie that you could talk to about it. Like I did with Robin books, right? It's a lot easier to do with, 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 uh, you know, with movies, right? Cause if you catch a, a big TV series, then half your coworkers are watching it or, yeah. or whatever. I don't know that we need to know, um, those numbers or that Netflix really owes it to anybody, to say how many people watched something. I mean, the way we know for a series is that it's immediately renewed, right? Enough people watch it. You know why? Because three days after it came out, they're greenlit season yeah. two yeah. in a movie. I mean, God, I hope they don't try to do a sequel, but you know, a, a sequel <laughs> is usually a pretty good indicator. If you have a movie that lends itself to, to being a sequel. So what would Netflix have to gain by, by lying though, I guess is, is really the, the question
1: yeah that's uh, I I don't know and um, I really don't care I honestly don't care that much like the number had it said 25 million or 85 million it didn't matter to me it was like hey lots of people watch this and that made me happy because like you know even if they inflated that number by like you know 100% and it was actually like you know 22 and a half million or whatever it's still a lot of people watching our boy Josh's movie and mm-hmm. like, that's what really counts
0: to me for perspective. Um, because what this conversation and what David James Keaton said is, is true. Maybe more people have seen this movie than any other movie, but, um, there's a couple things to remember. Like I would have gone to see this at the theater because we reviewed the book and because we've interviewed Josh Mallerman and someone I, you know, I'll call him an acquaintance. Um, But, like, I don't go to the movies a whole lot, right? And there's a lot of people who don't go to the movies a whole lot. Mm -hmm. But not only that, you have International. Now, as far as it being the most viewed movie ever or something like that, I I thought this was right. And, And apparently it's not. But it's the first one that comes to mind. The Day After, do you know what this is? No. You would have been, man, you would have been just a little kid. In 1983... Um, ABC had a movie come out that was called The Day After, and it was what would happen, what would actually happen in the aftermath of a nuclear war. Mm-hmm. And this was huge, huge news. Um, 39 million households watched the program during its initial broadcast, which is, you know, only 6 million less than Bird Box. Right. But again, Wait, it was free- year. 1983. Ooh, yeah. And. These are not international numbers. That movie was only released, at least in its, you know, this is in its initial broadcast, um, was only released on ABC in the United States. I don't know, maybe Canada. Um, so I don't, you know, this didn't get a release that was international. Internationally, you know, it might have had 90 million people watch mm-hmm. it. And not in the first week. We're talking about the night it was on television. because yeah, Those days didn't, didn't allow itself to... Uh, You know, there wasn't DVRing. I mean, I guess in 83, some people had VCRs. But as I remember, I think I got a first one in 85. So, like, you know, we didn't have a VCR in 83. This is something we sat down. um, I I don't know about it as a family. I think I remember me and my mom watching it and and sitting down and watching just millions of people be, um, you know, wiped out in a nuclear strike and what would happen and whatever. And it was a really important movie. But, again, how easy was it to see? In 83, most households had five channels. There was a lot of hype around the movie. Um, you know, now Netflix talked about it before, a lot of people have access to Netflix. They didn't have to go anywhere. They didn't have to spend (laughs) any money to see it. Well, according to you, everybody has Netflix. I, um, so I thought about that statement (laughs) and and the people i've been talking to over the last few days which uh, you know quite honestly is coworkers and and family mostly um yeah i haven't run into one person that doesn't have access to netflix because every time we had a conversation came up about bird box or about some other show that's coming up on on netflix so uh yeah maybe it is the most viewed movie of all time at least in its first seven days um and, and we're likely to see more of that especially if netflix keeps putting out movies that generate enough enough hype
1: yeah uh regardless. Um I'm I'm happy with it and um I'm happy that uh Josh's story is getting as much uh, attention through viewings and, and memes you know,
0: and and all that kind of stuff. I did look, um Bird Box was back in the top um Amazon not at the top, but it was uh back in the top oh, the I think twenty of the best-seller, yeah. Nice. I think I looked the day after we recorded the episode. I don't remember what the number was, but I checked and I was like, "Oh yeah, that's uh the Kindle version of it is 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 up uh in the top 20." I think it was. So, I don't think it's
1: I think it is conspicuous maybe that uh inspection that Del Rey has has it up for pre-order like right now. Yeah. <laughs> and um they're they're pushing it pretty hard um because i would i would i would ride the waves of the success of like the theatrical release of the bird box movie um and honestly, i said it i think i said it when like we were talking about watching the movie bird box but i'll say it again um just looking forward to the film adaptation of unbury carol because you know that's going to happen and that's going to be Dude. fucking amazing
0: Dude it. inspection. The, the the people at Del Rey right now are trying to figure out how to get the Sandra Bullock meme on the cover of inspection. <laughs> like how how can we just incorporate that image of her in the boat with like her hands out? Yeah, you know? Right, right. Like how do we get that on the cover so people know that this is the book they need to buy? Um <laughs> Yeah, Unburied Carol would be interesting. That would definitely be an interesting film to watch. Um I mean I'd watch you know. Black Mad Wheel too.
1: I wrote I mean
0: yeah any of it house at the bottom of the lake well, for forever. sure yeah. yeah absolutely um but yeah I, I imagine that inspection if the movie rights have not been purchased yet it will that, happen but yeah so yeah. um while we're on the subject of netflix um bandersnatch the new black mirror is this something that you that you took time to watch over the last couple of days i don't care Ah, uh, um, I don't. All right. So you say that and I know, I know we've talked about Black Mirror before, like neither one of us has watched a ton of Black Mirror. Um, I've seen four episodes and that's from like two different seasons. So, uh, not something that I've, you know, right. made a note watch. This one was interesting though, because of its choose your own adventure format, Yeah. which I thought was really clever. So for anybody who hasn't seen it, um, or hasn't heard about it, essentially you're watching, um, a movie it's about a kid in the 80s who's trying to adapt a video game. Um, is trying to adapt a novel into a video game. That novel is uh, not the choose-your-own-adventure that you're thinking of. If you're my age, Rob's age, and they're thinking about choose-your-own-adventure, it's like a thousand-page tome. Mm-hmm. Um, but apparently there are a lot of decisions that you have to make through the through the course of reading that book, and he's trying to adapt it into a, you know, a really shitty 8-bit video game. 1983, I think, is when this takes place. But at certain points you're presented with options that come up on screen that you have to select in order to advance, um, which I think is uh, was was done very well. So the the actual technology of it was super smooth. While you're watching a scene, um, a little black um, strip would roll up from the bottom of the screen. That the first one I think is which um, cereal you choose to eat in the morning. This kind of gets you in the habit of doing it. Um, and you pick between, I don't know, Wheaties and Cheerios or whatever it was. But there is no, the movie doesn't um, stop. Like when I was thinking about how this would work, is I pictured, I'd have to make a choice. And like the boxes would come up at the bottom, like when you're done watching something and something would have to load again.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: It's completely seamless. As you pick, the part that you're watching continues on for another minute. And then it's like, a direct cut to the next scene. Yeah, it's, it's completely yeah. seamless, so which be- is really nice.
1: It builds into like an upcoming scene break instead of correct face, you know, cut to
0: like a harsh cut to black. And then like the new scene shows up. That's nice. When a choice comes up, like there's a part where he's talking to a therapist and the therapist says, I really think that you should talk more about what happened with your mother. And then she goes on to so options come up, talk about it. Don't talk about it. But the therapist goes on to say, I think it would really help with your, you know, with us getting, you know, further into the cause of, of what's what's bothering you or whatever. So at this point, she's saying that you've made a selection and then it just cuts back to him saying, no, I really don't want to talk about it or saying, you know, I think you're right. So, yeah, it was done super, super smoothly. Um, there there are also parts that cause you to, to start over. Um, but when you start over, it's through a series of uh, snippets. Um, So if you've watched 20 minutes and and I had to start over, it was like a minute of recap up until the part where I start over um, to make a new decision, if that makes sense. Yeah. So um, from an experience standpoint, it's definitely worth watching. I don't want to spoil this. Afterwards, I'll tell Rob what I thought was really goddamn brilliant about it. Um, cause I was super, super impressed with something, but I feel it's spoilery for anybody else. Um, but, yeah, Bandersnatch, it's gonna be interesting to see how well this does and if this becomes um, more prevalent in our TV viewing, um truly interactive viewing of, of films and or TV shows.
1: Uh, interesting point uh, about this. I saw an article about this the other day. I didn't read it, but it's um, you know, it it makes sense to talk about it now because we're talking about it. Apparently, The choose-your-own-adventure aspect of this does not work on Apple TV uh, boxes. So,
0: interesting.
1: uh, Yeah, there's a. um, Let's see. A little message pops up. uh, Bandersnatch is only available on devices that support interactive content. No linear version is available. Uh, So basically, when uh, like when it when you get to a point where you're given an option, it just says like um the not available or something like that so oh but wow. it, it will work on an iphone or an ipad you know it just won't mm-hmm. uh won't work on the apple tv's um
0: netflix app interesting yeah i watch it on a built-in netflix app on an lg tv yeah somebody smart TVs, a box. It's yep. yeah it and says, that yeah. worked
1: seamlessly um basically every th- uh, uh, content's limited to smart TVs, streaming media players, game consoles, iOS devices and Android devices running the latest version of the Netflix app. For whatever reason, um it doesn't the interactive content does not work with the Apple TV. So if uh, that's how you watch it's stuff so...
0: find a different way. Yeah, bummer. Yeah, and I would and and just, just on another note like I would just think that it would be the same app that iOS uses. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, it's just a weird, I don't know. Yeah. So, yeah, at any anyway, rate, Bandersnatch. Um, be interesting to see what people think of it. Um, I made it to two endings. I don't know that I'll go back. Um, mm-hmm. There are apparently five endings. And once it ended for me, I was given... I essentially rewound to another option like where the fork in the road was and I got to see a second ending and then I was given again the option but it was really late and I was starting to fall asleep so I was like all right I'll pass on, on watching a third ending for this so really interesting though. Hmm. Yeah
1: surprisingly I just have no interest in it I think it's because it's Black Mirror more than it's a choose your own adventure kind of thing
0: yeah. Uh, The only other thing I wanted to mention, because I know there are some listeners to this show are big fans, I'm sure they already know this, but uh, today's January 1st, so uh, first of all, I guess first of all, so now that we're an hour (laughs) in, Happy New Year. Uh, Yeah, Happy New Year. Yeah, Uh, Luther, the most exciting thing about 2019 is the return of Luther (laughs) on the BBC, which appears to be running four episodes in consecutive nights. Um, I did watch the first episode tonight, and uh, very happy to report that I'm super excited for episode two.
1: Yeah, I need to catch up. I think I only watched the first two series of Luther, and I know that's super disappointing to you, but um,
0: uh, it's just something I hadn't gotten around to coming back to. Here's my, here's my honest review on that. You watched the best two seasons series. Um, series three and four I didn't think were as good. I mean, the writing is as good, mm-hmm. and uh, following the character is great. Um, I just think that those stories in the first two were tremendous. Um, And this one is shaping up to be great. So we'll, we'll see Uh, more, more to follow in the, uh, in the upcoming episodes. All right.
1: Uh, I think the only thing left to mention is what we're going to be doing for our next episode, which is, uh, we talked about it before. Um, This is a uh, advanced reader copy that was, uh, we actually got reached, the, the publisher reached out to us to ask us if we wanted to read this. We decided we wanted to, and it is An Anonymous Girl by Greer Hendricks and Sarah Pekkanen. So we're reading that now, and you'll be hearing us talk about it as our second book of 2019.
0: That's right. Um, I'm really excited that we recorded on the first, because we have to get 52 episodes or more this year, not 51. (laughs) So that fact that we started on the first makes you feel really good that we're not that's not like the eighth and we're recording our first episode of the year so i'm hoping that uh do you want to do 53 so that if you average (laughs) out the two years it's 52 per year i'm gonna do the math on all of that and see what it takes because i know we had an episode a year i think we're only at like 41 episodes so i don't know we'll have to see what the overall numbers say Uh, yeah well i mean i think overall (laughs) if you if you average out our entire history we are beyond 52 like the yeah All right. I'm not going to worry too much about it until like December rolls around and I'm like, hey, I just looked and here's (laughs) where we're at. Let's read six more books. Exactly. So um, thanks for tuning in. Um, We're looking forward to a great 2019 with you guys. And uh, that's going to continue on next week with An Anonymous Girl. Until then, I'm Olivia Snedden. And I'm Rob Olson. Keep reading.